Welcome to New Cities Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. We're just going to jump into the scriptures this evening. We're going to be looking at Genesis 1, Genesis 3, and Ephesians 5. And so if you've got a Bible, feel free to open it. If you don't have one, you can look above me and, um, and I'll read it to you. But Genesis 1, chapter, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, according to our own likeness. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. Next scripture comes from uh, Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God made the rib he had taken. Next slide. From the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And this one will be called woman for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. But the man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame. Then we go to Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve have sinned and fallen into sin, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave me, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. And then our last scripture is from Ephesians chapter five. And Paul says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church, Christ and the church, the word of God. Um, As we enter into this new series, we're using that phrase that they may be one. And tonight, our first sermon in this series about oneness is about this idea of me versus we when it comes to relationship, me versus we. Now, whether you're in a marriage or or whether you're single or whether you want to date someone or you're dating someone or whether you have friends in the church, we've all understand kind of intuitively that we we generally are bent towards looking out for ourselves first. We generally are bent towards me rather than we. You know, one of my favorite clips from any movie is this clip from a uh, Spider-Man. I can't remember which uh, which Spider-Man it's from. Um, but it's the best Spider-Man because it's Tobey Maguire. I don't want to start any fights, but I really do like the original Spider-Man. I really do like Tobey Maguire. 
And I want to show you this little short clip from that movie. And, and as you watch that, I want you to think about what's happening relationally in this clip. I want you to think about me versus we. You can go ahead and play it. So Spidey has just saved the day. He, he's kept the train from being destroyed. He saved hundreds of people's lives. And for some reason, he has his masks off and they see who he is. They see who he really is. And, and they see him for who he is, just a boy. They see he's just a human like them. But there's something about that clip that I think captures something about relationship for us. There, there's a sense of like unity. It wasn't just about Spider-Man. It was about Spider-Man and the, and the people of his city. They were together. They knew something about him that could actually harm him. And yet rather than harming him, they wanted to help him. They carried him. There's something about that that defines, I think, what we all want in relationships. We want people to know who we really are. We want people to see us in our weakness. We want people to know us intimately and to get our back and not to hurt us. We want to be able to carry one another. We want to be one. In that clip, it's a great picture of oneness. It wasn't just about one me, but the we. Not just about Spider-Man, but Spider-Man and the people. From the beginning, God has always been about relationships that reflect oneness. Adam and Eve are created for each other, both equally in the image of God, created to reflect God together. Not only that, but God himself is a three-in-one God. Three people, but one, united. It's not just me, it's a we, even in the Trinity. And even as we think about something so powerful as marriage, marriage is designed to reflect the oneness of we over me. It's a place where we're supposed to have our masks off. It's a place where we are weak and carried by each other. But I think so often in our culture, in our our own experience, we don't really think of marriage that way and we don't think of relationships that way. Rather than thinking of, I'm going to get your back in a relationship, we think we have to watch our back in relationships because of our experience. I recently read a book over vacation called How to Stay Married, The Most Insane Love Story Ever Told. And it's a memoir by a guy named Harrison Scott Key. And he talks about his wife's twice infidelity in their marriage. Twice she was unfaithful to him, and he recognized along the way that one of the things that drove her to infidelity was how hard he was to be married to. But finally, they decided they were going to fix the marriage, and they sat down on the therapist's couch, and he said this profound quote about them sitting on the couch together to get therapy for their marriage. He said, she is here, and I am here, but we are not here together. And I think that reflects how we often think about relationships or friendships or even marriage, that that we are here, but we are not here together. And I think so often in relationships and so often in friendships and so often in marriage, we can't get beyond the individual me to find God's plan for we. We can't get beyond the individual me to find God's plan for we. First of all, we, we can't get beyond the me because sin breaks the we. If you notice in that text that we read, Adam and Eve were one. And when Adam sees Eve, he says, 
wow. <laughs> bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, I have never seen anything like this in my life. But then you skip ahead just one chapter. And he's no longer saying that about the woman that God gave him. Rather, he's saying, God, this woman that you gave me, he's blaming her rather than delighting in her. Uh, She had brought him great joy, and now he sees her as the source of his greatest pain. Christopher Watkin, a theologian, says this about Adam and Eve's relationship. When Adam and Eve eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their relationship undergoes a striking degradation. They begin accusing each other of wrongdoing and become ashamed and defensive. Their relationship descends to a zero-sum game of power and domination with each trying to outsmart and outmaneuver the other. Now, of course, not all relationships are like that all the time, but I think we have all experienced relationships where that is part of it some of the time, where it feels like power is a zero-sum game. And that happens to Adam and Eve, and that happens to us because of our brokenness with God. As soon as our relationship with God is broken through sin, it fractures everything like a broken mirror. We still see ourselves in the mirror, but it is not the same. And that fracture spreads to every part of who we are, including our relationships and our friendships and our marriages. Our relationship now has a virus, and that virus is called me. Me. There's something in us that always wants to put ourselves first. But not only that, our our culture, our whole culture really is designed about you being you. We live in a culture that encourages me. George Costanza Costanza famously said, it's not you, it's me. That was his breakup line that he came up with. But, But our culture really says, it's not about you, this is about me. We live in a culture where self fulfillment and pursuing who you are is seen as the highest good. My greatest obligation is not to you, it's to me. Finding happiness is the highest thing that I'm called to. And what happens is when, we, when that infiltrates our thinking, we approach relationships not as, someone, not as something to give ourselves to, but rather we approach relationships like consumers. What can I get from you that will benefit me? We, we tend to see people like products. How do you make me feel? Now, when we date... When I, when I started dating my wife, what drew me to her was that, I mean, just kind of the basic stuff, what we all want. Like, she was nice, she was funny, she was attractive, right? That's like the first thing you notice. They're not a jerk, they have a good sense of humor, they're, they're kind of good looking, or in my case, I thought my wife was really good looking. And, and I think all of us, whether we're married or whether you want to be married, that's sort of the baseline that we're looking for. That's the baseline that drew you to that other person. And so there's that initial draw, but, but one of the things we don't realize is, is once we are drawn to someone, there's something in us that kind of brings this me mentality to the relationship without even really knowing it. So even if we have like a healthy draw to another person, we still come into the marriage not able to get over the me so that we can really think about we. Tim Keller, the pastor who recently just passed away, so wise, said this, 
a marriage based not on self-denial, but on self-fulfillment will require a low or no maintenance partner who meets your needs while making almost no claims on you. Simply put, today people are asking far too much in their marriage partner. What Tim's saying is not that we should have high expectations for someone that we're dating, but that we, we sort of come to them and go, you complete me. Like, you should make me happy all the time. And no other person can do that. No other person can make you happy all the time. And so what Keller is getting at is that in our culture, we have this weird thing going on when it comes to relationships. We are more idealistic than ever about pursuing a romantic partner. Like we think they should be able to do more for us than they can ever really do. At the same time, we are incredibly pessimistic about our possibilities for romance because we have these ideals that we take out in the world when we date and no one can live up to them. So we end up with this strange idealism and pessimism because we live in a culture that encourages more me than we. And it's really in the air we breathe. One of the things I've noticed more and more is that when people get married, we've moved away um, from the traditional wedding vows. And we've moved more towards writing individual wedding vows. Now, I know some of you have done that, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. But, but even in that, I think people are moving towards marriage is about me expressing myself rather than marriage is about me entering in something greater than myself. I love the traditional wedding vows because they really, you can't get any more powerful when it comes to love than what has been written before us. It says this in the traditional wedding vows, I, John, take you, Virginia, to be my wife, and I do promise and covenant. That's an important word, covenant. I covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful spouse in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, forsaking all others, then what does it say? As long as we both shall live. Uh, you, you can't get more of a commitment than that. The reason that the word covenant is used there is because the greatest bonding that can happen between two people is a covenant. A covenant is a relationship with a solemn promise. It's feelings of affection, but it's so much more. God covenants with us as his people. And he has affection for us. He has love for us. But he also says, I am committed to you no matter how foolish you are. And when we covenant in a covenant of marriage, it reflects that. So marriage, some people say, listen, I don't need a piece of paper to show that I love this other person. And marriage is just a piece of paper. I don't need that piece of paper to show my love. Well, then you have to stop and go, what do you mean by love? Because according to a covenant, according to the Bible, love is self-giving with a commitment. It says, I will give of myself to you and I will commit myself to you forever, forever. It's self-sacrifice with an allegiance or a loyalty that only ends in death that reflects God's loyalty to us as his people. God will never give up on us. Even when we're foolish, God is all in for eternity. The, the problem is we don't really have any relationships 
that we can even think that idea of covenant about. Uh, we're so confused in our culture. We, we're kind of like Dwight Schrute from The Office. Dwight Schrute from The Office has this famous quote where he's talking about switching companies that he works for. And he says, look, I'm all about loyalty. In fact, I feel like part of what I'm being paid for here is my loyalty. But if there were somewhere else that valued loyalty more highly, I'm going wherever they value loyalty the most. Marriage is meant to be a permanent covenant of loyalty, even when people change. One of the wild things about getting married is you marry some person, but you end up marrying about four different people. It's the same person, but they change completely throughout the life of your marriage. And we kind of go, well, it's unrealistic that you would expect to be committed to one person. That's in our culture. That's sort of the norm. And whether you're here tonight and you're a person who wants to be married, or whether you're a person who's no longer married, or whether you're a person who doesn't want to be married anymore, we can come together and explore these things, knowing that God wants to heal us, knowing that God wants us to grow together as we look at his faithfulness to us. Because it's really faithfulness that is God's plan for us relationally with each other, relationally as a church, relationally as marriage partners, faithfulness is God's plan for we. Faithfulness is God's plan for we. Now, when we talk about being faithful, we automatically think like sexual infidelity or sexual faithfulness. But, but the Bible means so much more than just that. The Bible's talking about all relationships being faithful to love one another being faithful to give of ourselves in our friendships, in our dating relationships, in our marriages, and in our church. To be faithful, to have this loyalty and allegiance to one another that goes beyond our feelings. See, that's one of the differences. Christian marriage has feelings, but it's not based on feelings, but rather a commitment of faithfulness. One of my friend's who's a pastor, says it this way, it's not the feelings of love that sustain the covenant of marriage. Rather, it's the covenant that sustains the love in marriage. It's the commitment that allows the love to grow. It's the faithfulness, the permanence of that faithfulness that allows affections to develop. And this is huge. If you're married, this is huge because when you're married, you will evidently have problems in your marriage. If you've been told that if you marry another Christian, you're not going to have any problems, it's not true. You will have faults, your spouse will have faults, and at times you will drive each other crazy. But when you see that the relationship is about the covenant, you can hold on to something that's bigger than any problem that you have. In fact, an author, Marcus Warner, who wrote a book called The Four Habits of a Joy-Filled Marriage, said one of the deepest things that you can do in marriage to keep your marriage filled with joy is always remember that the relationship is bigger than the problem. And that's true because your relationship is based on a covenant. It's based on a faithfulness. It's based on a promise. God's plan for we. But that's also helpful as some of you are single and you ask the question, Am I ready for marriage? How do I know when I'm ready to be married? Well, one of the first questions you can ask is, how do you think about marriage? 
what is marriage for? Do you think about marriage as primarily something for your self-fulfillment or, or somewhere where you can express self-giving love over a lifetime? Many of us think of marriage as a contract and marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. A contract says you give 50% and then I give 50%. But if you give 25%, then I'm only gonna give 25%. Where a covenant says we're committing to give each other 100%, 100% of the time for the rest of our lives. Now we make a vow that's way beyond what is in our power as human beings and that's why we need God's help. But it's helpful to ask ourselves, are we ready in our marriage? And, and you can see that in your own life if you're willing to make someone the priority of your life, not just an add-on in your life. Not just an add-on in your life. Because people will change. You will change. In fact, Harrison Scott Key, who I quoted earlier, he said that at a, at a point in his marriage with his wife, it suddenly seemed like they were people who belonged in different marriages. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that in your marriage where you look at your spouse and it's just like, wow, it feels like we're supposed to be in different marriages. We're so different. But that's where the covenant keeps you bonded together. And as single people and divorced people and as married people, we can train ourselves we can train ourselves to faithfully give of ourselves in love to others. Faithfully give of ourselves in love to others. Another thing, if you're considering marriage, if you're thinking, am I ready to be married? Am I ready to be married? One of the things that you can ask yourself is, do I see the image of God in the other gender? Or am I bitter at men? Am I bitter at women? You know, I think of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, and Adam said, God, this man, woman that you gave me, this woman that you gave me, and I think so often, so many times we can be hurt by people from the other gender, and therefore we say, God, these women, they're foolish, or God, these men, they're foolish. And if that's your attitude, you will bring that into marriage, and you will beat your spouse up with your mindset and your mentality. Part of knowing that you're ready for marriage is that you're able to see the image of God in men if you're a woman. You're able to see the image of God in women if you're a man. And all those things help us build relationships now of self-giving love. And really, the power to love our spouses, the power to love our friends, the power to love those in our church, that self-giving love comes from Jesus himself. Jesus gives up his me and makes us we. Jesus left the safety of heaven and came to earth, not to pursue something for himself, but rather to give of himself in love for us. The Son of God sacrifices himself on the cross so that we can be reconciled with God. And why that matters for marriage and why that matters for relationships is because marriage is just a, a, a picture. It's just a glimmer of what we have in our relationship with Christ. Did you notice what Paul said there in Ephesians 5? In Ephesians 5, he said, 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So you think he's talking about just the marriage relationship, but he says, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church, not just husbands and wives. And that's because in Jesus, we see something. We see that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that Christ gives to the church by providing and caring for her as his beloved, and therefore we become members of his body together. See, moving beyond me to we isn't just a decision that we make based on our own willpower. Rather, it's something that we get a glimpse of in the gospel of Jesus. That Jesus came and he died for people who didn't deserve it, for people who had nothing to offer him, for people who were sinners in the eyes of God. Jesus came and died so that you and I might be reconciled to him. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. This is what we call the Lord's table. This is a reminder of the marriage. And by marriage, I mean the covenant relationship that we have with Jesus Christ because he died for us, because of his self-giving love for us. Jesus gives up his me to make us we. We become one with him because of what he's done on the cross for us. If you're here this today and you're not yet a Christian, one of the things that can often be confusing is that you think about you think of Christianity as this religion where we call you to try really hard. Now make no mistake, being a Christian is hard. But that's not the foundation. The foundation of our faith, the foundation of relationship is the covenant that God has with us through his son. That Jesus has made a promise to us that he will never break. That his blood is always what covers over our sins. That he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. That he'll be with us through the end of time. That even though we can be quite toxic at times, Jesus will never leave. And when you begin to understand that, it changes who you are. You begin to not only think about yourself, but you begin to think outside of yourself. You begin to think about people on your street and people in your church. You begin to think differently about your spouse rather than someone who's just there to serve me. I'm there to serve them. See, Christianity takes the covenant of God, takes the cross, and it changes us on the inside. And instead of saying, try hard and love, it says, let's give you love and fill you up with the love of God so that it comes spilling out of you into the world, into the home, and into your streets. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week.